0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, Lord God, please consecrate us now by your Spirit. That you might do wonders among us, Father, this, we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen there 's a real danger uh, amongst theologians and amongst Christians and uh, me as a preacher in particular, to flatten out the old testament it 's something that I say a lot with my kind of theological friends don 't flatten out the text, uh, and that sounds strange to you because you 're not in that world, but what I mean by that is that there's there's often a a tendency to go from the Old Testament and then go straight to Jesus. We often go too quickly from the Old Testament to Jesus and we kind of make all Old Testament passages sound the same. And so there's a danger there to go too quickly to Jesus. We need to make sure that we're understanding the Old Testament in its context, make sure we're understanding it it as it stands so that we can better understand who Jesus is and what he's done. Now the danger is in me saying that is that that's probably what I'm going to do in this passage. So forgive me if I do that. But with that being said, let's have a look at what this passage says and what it means and how it shapes our view of Jesus. Uh, I just went off script and I got to find my place. So the context of this passage, in the book of Joshua, so far, we've just read that the great leader of Israel, Moses, has died. The man who led Israel out of captivity through the Red Sea into the desert towards the Promised Land. The man who had spoken with God upon the mountain. The greatest prophet to ever have lived in Israel. He has just died. But the hope of Israel is not all lost. For God has raised up Joshua to lead Israel to lead Israel into the land that he's promised to give them. However, there are a few more obstacles in the way, standing between Israel and the land that God promised. In the book of Numbers we're told about how under Moses' leadership some spies are sent into the land to see how the land is, to scope it out. And some of those spies reported that the land was amazing, full of natural resources full of milk and honey, but it was also full of giants. In Numbers 13, verses 27 to 29, the spies say, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants, descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb." The Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. These spies, they saw the land that God had promised. They understood that God is faithful to his promises but they were discouraged by the obstacles that stood in their way. But how much are we like these spies? We know the love of God, we know of his grace and of his mercy. We know of his power. We know of his faithfulness. And yet we fail to trust him. I fail to trust him. We get frightened by the troubles of life, don't we? These, these men are too big. These walls are too high. There's too many enemies in the land. That bill is too large to pay. That person is just too stubborn. Surely God, surely God won't help me. Surely God won't save that person or change that person's mind. But we read that there were two spies that trusted God, Joshua and Caleb. And so we come to our passage and we see that Joshua is about to lead Israel into this promised land. But yet there's one more obstacle. There's this river Jordan that stands between them and the land. And this is another test for Israel. And so in order to understand the tension that was going on, we need to understand these first chapters of Joshua. We need to remember that Israel has been in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around in the desert. You probably remember that from Sunday school classes. I'm not sure what you call them in America, but we call Sunday school the children's school. I'm sure it's probably the same, but you probably remember that from the lessons in Sunday school that Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, but... Imagine if that was you. If you were looking for a house to rent for 40 years. I'm currently engaged, which is kind of informing all of my illustrations right now. And so one of the things that is stressing Rachel and I is that we're looking for an apartment to rent. It's only been maybe two, three weeks, but it feels like we're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. There's just nothing that we want, nothing that suits our needs. But like us, Israel is stressed and tired, longing to have a place to call their own. And now as they stand on the banks of the River Jordan, they can see the land that God has promised them. They can see their future home. They can reach out and touch it. They can smell it. They can hear the cattle grazing. They can... Hear the bees buzzing, but there's this river in the way. Another obstacle to get through. I mean, come on, God, just just give us a break, would you? We've been out in the heat, heat for 40 years. Would you just let up? It just seems like one thing after another. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is notorious for not trusting in God. But under this new leadership of Joshua... Israel is prepared for this test. They have fear. They have reverence for God. And we read that Joshua commands Israel to consecrate themselves before God. And so God decides to show Israel that he is faithful. He wants to prove to Israel that they have nothing to fear. That even though there are these seven nations that inhabit the land... Even though these nations are larger and stronger than them, even though there are are all these obstacles, God is on Israel's side. Even though their great leader has died, God wants to show Israel that Joshua has been called to be his servant, that Joshua will be a great leader and he will lead them into this promised land. In verse 10 we read that God is using this river as a sign for Israel. He's writing on the wall, I am with you. Look at verse 10 with me. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will with, without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites and the Jebusites. This will be the sign, he says. This will, this will be it. This is how you know that I am with you. So how can Israel know that God is for them, that God is faithful to his promises? Well, he's about to prove it through a miracle, a a miracle powerful enough to overcome all their fears and failures. And just as God was able to deliver Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, so he'll bring them into the land through the Jordan River. How often do we wish we had a sign from God? In our day and age, we're so captured by the imminent imminent sphere. That's a hard word to say out loud. Imminent sphere. Those things that were right in front of us. Our phones are kind of that close to us. We can only see so far in front of us. We get caught up so much in the present, forgetting about the past or the future. And because of this, we long for a sign. We forget about what's gone on before and, before and after us. We just long for a sign, something, anything that will tell us that God is with us, that he cares about us, that someone, that anyone is on our side. If he would only show us that he is mighty to save us, if he would only show us a sign... I have a favourite illustration that goes with what I'm trying to say right now, but as all my illustrations are to do with wedding preparation, I'm going to use it in light of that. And so I can't use my favourite illustration now because it relates to being single. But my favourite illustration, I'm going to use it, you know, I'm just going to be be cheap. My favourite illustration is about how I used to love the dating game. I used to love dating because... I'm a little bit of a drama queen, and I love drama. I love the ups and the downs of dating. You know, will she, won't she, does she, doesn't she? You know, I just, I just love the ups and the downs. That if she, she's hot and she's cold, that kind of stuff. The rollercoaster of emotions, the dizzying highs, the devastating lows. But this is also what I hate about dating, and why I'm glad I don't have to do it anymore. I hate the uncertainty, not being in control. Does she like me? Does she even know who I am? Does she think about me? Was she smiling at me or was that just kind of a smirk about something? Was she smiling at me or did she just think of something th- funny in her head? I just wish I had some sort, of, some sort of sign that told me if she liked me or not. Gosh, I just want a sign. Well, the good news is that with God, we don't have to flounder about in uncertainty like we do with dating. Because he's given a sign for us, a sign of his love for us, a sign that he is on our side. The sign is the sign of the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross that Jesus hung upon, that we might be forgiven, that we might be brought back into God's family, that we might be redeemed. How can we know that God is faithful to us it's through the cross of Jesus Christ. All throughout the Old Testament, the, the promise of salvation was through faith. There was a promise of this Saviour coming who will, one, who will one day finally redeem Israel, who will finally defeat all of Israel's enemies, and finally give them rest in the land. In the cross of Jesus Christ, God proves that He is faithful to that promise. He's proven that he would give up everything for that promise. He has promised it and it has happened. He has done it. And in raising Jesus from the dead, God proves to us his power, that he's more powerful than sin. He's more powerful than death, that he's more powerful than you and I could ever imagine. So just as God was with Moses... Just as God was with Joshua, God is with us now. But he's with us in a different kind of way. In this chapter, God appears to Israel in a box. In verse 3, we learn that the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and they're not allowed to go too close to it. And in verse 15, we see that as soon as the priests carrying this box dip their toes into the water the water stops flowing. Even though the Jordan is in flooding, this water stops. As soon as they come into contact with the water, it ceases. And we get this reenactment of the crossing of the Red Sea. For God proves once again that he is faithful, that he is with Israel. See, the Ark of the Covenant, this box, represents God's presence amongst Israel. But now God is with us in his Son and by his Spirit. The very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. In Jesus' incarnation, we get to see inside that box, the box that they were carrying, we get to see inside it. We get to see the inner workings of God. God becomes manifested in front of us. And amazingly, he comes to dwell inside of us. The Bible says that for all those who believe in Jesus, the Spirit is given as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance so that through faith we become united to Christ, bound to Christ, so that whatever happens to Jesus happens to us. So that just as Christ has been raised, so too we will be raised. In the New Testament we read about how even though Israel entered into this land through the River Jordan, due to their disobedience, they didn't find that ultimate rest for their souls. They didn't find rest from their enemies. Even though God was faithful to them and delivered them into this land that he had promised, even though God gave them everything that they needed, it still wasn't enough for them. Their hearts became stubborn, their They began to grumble in the land as they had done in the wilderness. And so the promise of rest that God promised them, this promise of salvation, still stands for us today. And so this passage thrusts us into the future. For through Christ's death and resurrection, we're given a sign that points to our future, to our future hope, to our future resurrection. I wonder what you think is too hard for God. What do you think in your life is... Sorry, what do you think about in your life and think to yourself, that's just too hard, that'll never happen. That'll never change. It's just too difficult for God to do that. Maybe it's someone close to you that isn't a Christian, maybe a mother or a father, a sister or a brother... Maybe a child or a grandchild or a friend or a colleague. Maybe a family member is sick or dying. Maybe you have financial problems or emotional problems or spiritual problems. Whatever it is, there's always something that seems too big for God, isn't there? A big giant that is too big to kill. A river too wide to cross. A wall too high to climb. But just as God brought Israel through the river, shielding them from the water, so too God will deliver you through these trials that you face. I can't promise you that's going to be easy, that you'll get there without flooding, but we have a promise of a future that is glorious. For in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, we're shown that God will deliver us from this life and into the next. Jesus is a dam that stops up the water from overwhelming us. His sacrifice becomes the bridge over our troubled waters and through his resurrection he leads us into the promised land, a place where we will finally be satisfied, a place where we can finally rest. Listen to this prophecy from Isaiah 55. Come everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labour for that which does not satisfy? Satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live and I will make you make with you an everlasting covenant. And this prophecy is taken up in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21 1 to 6, when the Apostle John is given a vision of the future, a vision of our future. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, and this is coming up to my point, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Are you longing for a sign from God? Are you thirsty for God? Do you wish that God would show, yourself, show Himself to you, prove that He is real? Well, we have that sign in Jesus. So I implore you to turn to Him. Turn to Him, all you who are all you who labor and are heavy laden, for only He can give you rest. Let's pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a sign of your faithfulness. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are faithful to your promises, that you have promised it and you have delivered it. Father, we long for the time when we'll be at rest with you. We long for the time when there'll be no more pain or suffering. Father, we ask that please would you make this time come soon. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Deliver us from the brokenness of this world. But, Father, we know that your patience means salvation for those who do not yet believe. So we ask, give us patience, Lord, that through your patience many might be brought into your kingdom. Father, all this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.